you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. There's some requests for songs. There's a few we don't know yet. I'm just trying to sing here tonight. Uh, you, we haven't figured out yet. Uh, there's a sign that says Eddie Lewinsky. I don't know what the fuck that means. Listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast today we are doing a show from 1998 noblesville indiana or maybe it's indianapolis indiana that's not a conversation that we need to have but this is the first show from the second u.s leg in 1998 which is a very important leg we can get into a little bit about that and what would happen more on the east coast but this is very interesting that they're starting a leg in indiana here which is a part of the country that we've never talked about before. So I'm interested in getting into it. This is an interesting era to talk about because we don't talk about it too often, yet this year we're going to be talking about it a lot more. So there's a lot to discuss. Let's do it all in one episode. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Yo, so you have a strong feeling about 1998 because this was the year that you went to your first show. That's right. Yeah, it was, I was 20. You know, I, I was kind of like talking myself out of Pearl Jam at the time, like getting more into like punk rock. And I was in a band at this point and all that. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is kind of their last gasp. This is kind of like I'm going to be kind of moving on. I'm not really into them anymore. And like it would take a few years before I really got back into it. But every time we do a show from this year, it always brings back good memories because they're still like in their prime. It's the 90s, but it's late 90s. It's not like the angsty 93, 94, 95 shows. They're starting to kind of grow up a little bit and, and mature, but they can still pull out that fire when they need to. And the, a lot of these shows are great, underappreciated gems that nobody talks about. And I think we got another one here. 
Yeah, I fully agree. Look, again, I mentioned that Indianapolis, Indiana is not really part of the country that we go back to too often. There have been shows there, a couple of shows there, a couple of pretty good shows there, but also, like, that's not where a lot of big things have happened before. So when somebody brings this up and says, why don't you cover this show? We're like, okay, this is different. This is something brand new for us to sink our teeth into. And we have Jeremy Curtis to thank for that this week because this was a Patreon request. This comes directly from Patreon, and we can talk about that if you want to request an episode a little bit later in the show when we do our whole what's going on on Patreon spiel. We'll 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 tell you how to how to request a show. But uh, Jeremy Curtis is nice enough to request this one, and this has been on the board for a little while, and we made sure that it got pretty early into 2022 because again 1998 something that we wanted to to hit some more shows up and we wanted to hit up this territory so if you're from the area you got something it's great it's great that certain local areas get recognized and we want to get to pretty much every single one in the u.s and maybe overseas we'll get to some different ones as well so let's uh tell jeremy's story here because this is very interesting it's look when you think about the way that the band is live, they can sometimes cement their impact on you. And I think that's what happened here. You know, you, you be the judge on this story. I'm just going to read it and uh, then we can react to it. So how many people can honestly say when a particular band becomes their favorite band? For me, it's easy. August 17th, 1998, the band Pearl Jam. Up until that point and for the last eight years or so, my favorite band was Aerosmith. In 1990, my brother gave me an Aerosmith pump on cassette. That changed my life. It opened me up to music that I didn't even know existed. From then on, I was 100% a rocker. On August 17, 1998, that baton was passed from Aerosmith to Pearl Jam. I was 17 and just about to start my senior year of high school. My friend Mike and I decided to go on a road trip traveling two and a half hours to Deer Creek Music Center in Noblesville, Indiana, a suburb of Indianapolis. This was my first real road trip out of state at that. Having recently landed a job at our local Target, I finally had a few dollars scrapped together. The ride over from Champaign, Illinois was nothing worth noting. We were, however, pretty naive and pulled over on the exit from the interstate that leads us to the venue at the first ticket scalper we saw. $65 a piece later, and we had lawn seats. Ooh, that's that's pretty expensive for long seats in in 1998. And right now, I mean, that's a that's a bargain, but pretty expensive for back then. I don't even know if the show was sold out. There was probably lawn seats available at the box office for half of what we paid. Since we paid as much as we did, unfortunately, I did not have more money for merch. What was interesting was as we were doing the transaction, we saw somebody get rear-ended pretty badly right in front of us. I'm not a doctor, but it probably required a hospital trip. The remaining trek to the venue was uneventful. We arrived early enough to see the opening act, Iggy Pop. I had heard of him, but not know any material. I would say that neither did the rest of the crowd. Uh, that's going to be a point we get into. Yeah. The main thing I remember about Iggy was his relentless attempt to get a rise out of the crowd. He must have called us fuckers 100 times to no avail. Eddie must have watched the show because the first thing he said as Pearl Jam took the stage was something like, okay, fuckers, it's our turn. I have a bootleg of this show. However, the audio is so bad that I hardly ever listened to it. I hadn't in years. The following is going off of pure memory. After the opener, Long Road, which at the time I did not know, 
The next five to six songs included probably three or four of my favorite songs at that time period. Hail Hail, Brain of Jay, Last Exit, Given a Fly, and Corduroy. For 1998, this set list was one epic song after another. Being 17, I hadn't discovered a taste for alcohol, so I was as sober as a priest on Sunday for this concert, meaning I didn't have to take a restroom break. I was 100% in tune with the whole experience. Boy, did that change just two years later at the same venue for what would be the next time I saw Pearl Jam. I really took everything in. I do remember being somewhat offended before they played MFC, saying that the best way to get out of Indiana may not be a tractor. I remember Eddie dedicating Nothing Man to all the poor people in the back, and I felt this was 100% dedicated to me. Shortly after that, I remember them playing Spin the Black Circle, my favorite song at the moment at the time. Lastly, I remember them playing a song called Leaving Here, which I actually had heard of at the time and being blown away that they would play something like that. I haven't looked it up, but I wonder how many times they played it live. Well, look, I can look it up because that's easy for me. 77. <laughs> 77. Non-Pearl Jam related, I'd like to end by sharing the following story. As we sat for what seemed like hours in the parking lot after the show, there was a large praying mantis, by far the largest I've ever seen, sitting on the driver's side mirror of my friend Mike Saturn. The thing was huge. I'm talking near alien size. We weren't moving at all, and this thing was just staring at us. Mike was driving and had his mirror down, and we had discussed what his move would be. After probably 15 minutes, still sitting, it made its move right into the chest of my friend Mike. It was a good thing he was in park because he freaked out so much that he floored the gas pedal. I still remember that vividly. <laughs> well, there, yeah, uh, there, there are some things that, look, I, I, I think that even more so than songs being played, you just kind of remember those moments that are just like those what the hell kind of moments, like almost like a TV show or movie moment. Like, what the hell do you do <laughs> when something silly like that happens? But uh, you came out of it alive and good for you. Thank you, Jeremy. Great story. Great stuff. And a lot of uh, obviously what you, what you talked about is a lot of what we're going to talk about. And I think the way I want to piggyback off of what you were saying is just following up on that Iggy Pop was the opener for this. And on first view for me, I think, wow, that's really, that's awesome. I, I love the Stooges. I love Iggy. And honestly, this is a perfect time that John and I are covering something with, with Iggy because we're actually doing the Stooges pretty soon for, for program. So this is kind of, we're in the zone for him right now. So yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I want to bring up and he, he mentioned it here is that Iggy got no reaction. You know, this guy been around, he's, you know, a, a legend in the punk rock world. And I mean, he's, he's a great live act. He's a personality. And you'd think like, you know, you kind of draw that in with the crowd, but you know, that crowd, that nineties crowd that just wasn't feeling kind of the seventies punk vibe, I guess they, they didn't buy into it. And I, I, I find that weird in retrospect because I, I see him as such a, an enormous personality to get behind. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit when we did the crocodile cafe show with cheap trick and like Iggy pop in, yeah. In 1970 and 1973, even later on when the Stooges got back together, like, yes. And of course the man's a legend, but in 1998, it's like, really, he's still around. Like, yeah. Okay. All right. Like, all right, old man, show us what you got. 
I guess. I, well, okay, whatever. But, like, it doesn't have the same kind of panache because it was just a different time. And, like, people were just kind of over it. Like, what, what, what was Iggy Pop doing in 1998? He's probably most known for that candy song with the, I think it was Kate from the B-52s or something. Like, kind of cheesy, like, people knew him from, like, VH1, you know? Like, it's like, all right, cool. And, I like, was he even doing Stooges songs? Like, I don't know. Probably. He was. I, yeah. I actually looked it up. He was doing, okay. you know, I want to be your dog. And he was doing okay. search and destroy. He was doing the normal stuff that you would expect him to do. Yeah. But he was, yeah. he was also doing his own stuff. He'd cover Louie Louie and he'd do wild sure. one. He would do the passenger. And I, like, that's pretty normal stuff for, for like, him. for like a bunch of teenagers. It's like, Oh, right. Old dude. You know, I'm not saying he's not a legend. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. It's just a different time. Just this young Pearl Jam crowd was just kind of like, I'm, I'm just guessing, and, you know, Jeremy was there. He, he kind of hinted at this. But, like, who? I'm sure they would have uh, preferred uh, someone a little younger. Yeah, and most of the openers at that time were kind of, like you mentioned, Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick opened up a couple shows on this leg. And Mud Honey, who's not, like, Spring Chickens, they're not, like, yeah. a brand-new fan. And, and you know, so, uh, later on, they would invite Slater Kinney, My Morning Jacket, Kings of Leon, and those kind of bands. Leo, Mercy, Devils. Right, uh, band, band the yeah. Horses. Right, yep. Exactly. They would invite all of those bands into the fold. And some of them even kind of picked up some momentum and after they opened up for Pearl Jam. But here it seems like they're inviting a bunch of bands that they want to watch because apparently during this whole entire tour, the band, especially Mike and Ed, were just planted on the side stage watching the entire time, which, I mean, look, you can do it. Go for it. Absolutely. I, I find I find that interesting that they would go in that direction, but I think that's always... You know, I, we talked about the Rolling Stones when and they opened up for the Rolling Stones and the Rolling Stones were looking for that younger band to bring in the younger generation. And Pearl Jam was like, well, we have the younger generation. Let's kind of get them to kind of recognize what has let's influenced to, us. Yeah, let's let's try to educate some people, give these people a little rock and roll history. So this is, uh, I think we mentioned it before, the first night of the tour, and it's an important leg in in 1998 they're obviously going to hit up a lot of the east coast stuff and and this is going to be the breath tour and this is going to be the the madison square garden show and that that's kind of an important turning point for the band in their history but right here to kind of open up and look they're starting out in noblesville indiana which feels a little bit random but i think that that's kind of cool that they can kind of just drop in the middle of the country and then kind of go forward instead of starting at one end and then finishing off at home or something like that. I, I think I think that's kind of cool that they plan it out this way. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of the band All, which I know you know. Um, their story was they put a pin in the geographical middle of the United States and moved their operation there so they would be close to everything. So it's kind of like... Mm -hmm. Drop us in the middle and we'll work our way around. You know, the, these long, long tours, you got to, they were, they were going everywhere. So might as well start, you got to, you know, you got to start somewhere, start in the middle. Yeah, for sure. And I think that also kind of gives this kind of crowd that probably is what, I, I think there was one Indianapolis show in 1992, but they haven't seen them since. I don't think there was one in, in 96. They were pretty much hugging the, the East coast line. And I don't think there was, there was definitely not anything in 95. I I'm not sure about 94, but I don't think so. So it'd been a long time since they've been there. So it's kind of a, you know, just 
drop right in the middle and play not just a, a venue but a city that they really haven't yeah. experienced too much. So and, and also it's the it's the first night. So if there's if there's a little rust, if there's some growing pains, and they they got a new drummer, which we're going to talk about, then you're you're not in you're not opening up in Madison Square Garden like a big spotlight right. on you. You're not opening up in Boston. You're not opening up Seattle, in LA, yeah. or Seattle or something. You if if they have an off night in in Noblesville, then it's not the end of the world. They word's not going to get around that like. Oh, Pearl Jam had an off night and people aren't going to go. It's not going to be a big like deal. Right. All right, fuckers. It's their turn now. You get the classic chord ringing out for the uphill climb version of Long Road. And what do I mean by uphill climb? I just mean it just it starts out kind of mild and just keeps building to those big moments. Kind of love, and we talked about it with, with release a couple of weeks ago. I love when you know you just kind of have that calm before the storm, and then you can just bust and break out. And I think that this was a perfect way to really open up this tour and and to kickstart things into gear. And and yeah, they had to start slow at this show because the next three are going to be wild at the gate. I always think it's funny when they open up a tour with Long Road. Like, is he doing this on purpose? But yeah, it's a very good version. The only thing I think, at, at one point, someone hits a wrong chord, and it kind of throws Ed off a little bit. They have to kind of, like... I did the other Yeah, yeah. It's in the middle in the middle somewhere. Someone hits, like, a wrong note. But they recover. Just, like, I can just picture them, like, someone... Ed throws a look at someone, or maybe it was him, you know? But they, they pick it right back up. But it's the one one song opener, and then you're full speed ahead. One of the themes that we're going to end up talking a lot about in the show is that the drums just sound really percussive, really heavy, and not that it's just an unofficial bootleg and usually you do get heavy drum sounds on it, but it sounds like Matt went back during this time from the first leg where he was really just kind of a replacement drummer for a little while, a damn good replacement drummer, but now he's felt more acquainted with the band and knows the songs a little better so he has kind of a mojo going now and if anybody was out to impress at the show it was absolutely matt cameron 
Oh yeah, and you know, they had a few weeks off after the first leg and you know, normally you would think like, oh okay, they'll like go back to Seattle and kind of chill out and like hang out with the girlfriends or the wives, you know, the, the healthy dad families yet at this point, but you know, we'll just kind of chill out. We'll maybe like relax a little bit, but I don't think that happened between the legs. I think they were probably practicing every night. At least I'm sure Matt was. I'm sure he was on the phone like, guys, we got to let's go. I want to learn more. Like, good, I got to We got to go. So I, I picture them like really working hard during that off time and especially him wanting to hit this leg really, really hard. Not not just to prove to himself and to prove to the band, but prove to the fans. Like Pearl Jam is an established band. He doesn't want to be the one to let it down. So yeah, he, I'm sure he worked his ass off for these few weeks to try to like nail these songs and he just comes out firing on this one. Like almost all my notes are like, wow, Matt's really good on this. And there's a roll in the middle of Hail Hail that he starts and you're just like, oh, that, there it is. He's got it, he's on it. It's, uh, I, I, can, I can picture it just being such a good feeling to have him behind the drums and know that it's gonna be solid, it's gonna be stable. We got somebody back there that we can go and just let everybody go off and do their thing. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Like, go off and do his own thing. I think there was a lot of, on the first leg, just kind of waiting it out and seeing what song kind of came to him and, and what songs that he was sort of picking up from Jack and kind of taking a little bit of what Jack did. And it feels like here that he's really coming into his own and he's becoming Matt Cameron, the Pearl Jam drummer, instead of a Pearl Jam drummer. So I think that the, that's, the, that's the, important to note. Yeah, it's the confidence. It's We talk about sometimes he was real tentative on that first tour, and like mm-hmm. he even says it in the movie. Like I would, They would call it a song and be like, all right, do I know this one? Okay. But now like you can, you can just feel the confidence coming from behind the drum kit. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, and I don't imagine a world where I can't see an, an unconfident Matt Cameron. Like that's right. his personality, that it just kind of vibrates from him, that he's cool, he's collected, almost borderline like cocky confident, but he's not a dick about it. And I, I think the way that the band always makes a note to say like, Matt Cameron essentially saved them. And you can say that about two drummers because they've said that about Jack Irons as well. So this is not the last time we bring up Matt Cameron. And essentially, these three right here, Hail Hail, Brandon J, Last Exit, are all scorchers. And yeah, Matt Matt is a highlight in, in all of these. And honestly, Ed, too, you think about first night of the tour, Ed his voice is rested up and it's in good shape and he's ready to jump on everything right away. Hell, hell, his voice is, is right on top of it. Brandon J, he's accelerating it, has the growl in full force. Same with Last Exit, like you get that big scream at the end of Last Exit too. Yeah. Like this is, this is one heck of a three song combo. I really, like, I can't think of three to come out and hit you right at the beginning of the show that are better than this and probably you have never gotten these three together after this era oh yeah few and far between probably hell hell with last exit but Brandon J is, is sort of the outlier after 1998 yeah. to your chagrin unfortunately but you know what that's that's why we get to cherish these 1998 shows and go back to them because you do get to kind of have them at, the, at this raw and 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 most favorable moment but uh that that's essentially what this is right here the solo and brandon J was 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 phenomenal and and like there's i don't know if you noticed it but it happened in brandon J. ed kind of has this like excess yell after a line just an extra emphasis that he was he was ready to go on it that he was feeling good like you could feel that energy coming back on the bootleg 
there's that feeling, you know, we talk about sometimes where when everything's going well, it can kind of lift everybody up and you kind of get that energy of just like, we're in the zone right now. No, nobody can do any wrong. Like everything's just hitting on full force, full cylinders. Every song, just they just nail it, nail it. Got it, got it. And they're just in the zone of this one. It, yeah, it feels really good. And, they, and again, first night of tour, they're confident, they practice, they know, they know what they've got in Matt Cameron. They're just kind of gotten destroy these audiences. So yeah, I almost say it every episode. You always know how Ed's feeling. And when he does those, when he lets out those little, you know, extra yelps and, and hollers, then, you know, he's in a good mood. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get out of that, you know, three-headed trio there into giving a flying corduroy, which I like, look, think about this. And in this era, let's say 2022 wasn't an album tour. It was just a tour, just have Pearl Jam on the road. They didn't have to promote Gigaton or anything else. Pick a better six songs to start your show with. Oh, yeah. Classic. I don't think you can. Right. right. And obviously, right. you know, looking looking on it now, they're all 90 songs. But even even so, a lot of these stick around in, in, in these spots. Given a fly right after kind of a, a, a big scorcher of a section, then Corduroy to finish it all off was really great end capper of all this. And, you know, I, what I want to bring up about Given a Fly is going back to Cameron. This, this is probably the most difficult imitation of Jack that he has and basically has to take it and interpret it into his own because Jack had such a unique take on giving a fly but his version of sort of the tribal beat is very interesting I want to get your take on it because we did talk about it a little bit in the evolution episode but it feels like this version he was really hitting on something pretty hard Jack was very much about the feel and very much about the rhythm and Matt is more about the power. He does something on this song that's really special. It really changed it in a good way, and I think it gives the song a little more power. And like, it could have gone a little more like the way of In My Tree, and not that that's a bad thing, in my opinion, of course, but it, it, it became something different with, with Matt behind the kid. And it, the part where it switches, like when, that, when everything kicks in in that second chorus, it just hits harder than it, I don't think it, it never did with Jack. And it's just. Yeah, it's great. It just took the song to another level, I think. It really made people, like, sit up and take notice. You know, you mentioned In My Tree. I think that's the other comparison there. That are probably the two most notable Jack moments. And and think about those two songs moving forward, what they would do with both of them. Given a Fly would get a little bit faster and kind of uh, go upwards in progression because of Matt. And In My Tree would become something totally different in a couple of years after this. So Yeah, they kind of had opposite trajectories after this. Mm -hmm. He never was able to really translate in my tree like he did this one and like and nowadays he just he kind of does like a jack impression on in my tree thankfully we don't have to see anybody have to imitate some of matt's really good stuff but i think that we sort of at times can take it for granted because we have matt imitating dave we have jack imitating dave we have matt imitating jack but we don't have anybody imitating matt (laughs) and i think that's where we get a little bit jaded with that because once if that ever were to happen and you look at it you'd be like whoa what matt does on this is really freaking impressive oh yeah he's almost he's almost inimitable like you Mm -hmm. 
there, there's no one alive that could that could do an impression of Matt Cameron and make it sound as good as he does. Right, right. He's like they said all, all the time. He's a Lamborghini. He's a machine. Yeah, it's yeah. very very tough to to replicate. I do want to hit on Corduroy just for sure. a little bit because Corduroy, I I feel like. 1998 was just a, a corduroy was the breakout star of 1998 and that's not to disparage anything that happened from 1994 through 1996 because corduroy was still a good song but i think in the sense of think about a song like an unthought known and that's the first one that comes to my head when they start playing it live like it's not a radio song you have to get used to it and then you hear it a couple times you're like whoa that's good and then then the, you know a year goes by the next time you see him you're you're now excited for this song. It becomes a highlight for you, not just a highlight, but a moment that you're saying before the show, I want to see this song. And I feel like in 1998, Corduroy, maybe across the board, was so, were so many people's pick to, to want to hear, and especially what they were doing with it, mixing in sort of the, the beds are burning and the interstellar overdrive intros and some of the other things that they were doing. Corduroy felt like it had a turning point in 1998. Oh yeah, there were three songs that they played every single night. Given the Fly and Wishlist and Corduroy. And I think Hell Hell was one of them too, to be honest. They, they missed one. Missed one. Oh wow, okay. But yeah, Corduroy, I mean it was it was opening up at this time and a lot of that is due to Cameron. Like when that happens, it kind of becomes that anthem, that really powerful live song. And yeah, I, I agree. This is uh, ninety eight and live on two legs, a lot of people back to that version. It's a great version. Like, oh my god, just breakout yeah star and going back to camera too just comes in like rolling thunder on this like just at the very beginning after after ed plays that riff and the drums come in it's just like whoa okay there's a really nice build before the solo happens you really tell that like there's some tension there and there's some power behind that it sounded very very good i love this version crowd's getting behind it too and that's that's you know during that moment right before the solo kind of erupting into the end where the crowd starts clapping and they can kind of develop their own crowd and response moments out of this like that's when the song kind of takes a turn and becomes bigger than you'd ever expect corduroy is definitely a highlight from this there's there's going oh, yeah. to be a lot of vitalogy uh, album highlights so corduroy is is absolutely in the middle all right, Ed mentions, I think we mentioned it when uh, we were reading Jeremy's letter, but if you ever want to get out of here and further your boundaries, the best way to get out of here is not by tractor, but if a tractor is all you have, go for it. And that gets you right into uh, the tractor driving song, MFC. There's or some pandering you- for you. We've <laughs> been talking about pandering a lot. There's, there's some pandering for you. Right. Uh, I mean, you can change you can change the lyrics to MFT if you want. You know, mini mini fast tractor. <laughs> I don't know if John Deere has that in, in, in storage or not. But, I mean, this is just right in the pocket. The drum's popping on it. The guitar's very atmospheric. We haven't covered MFC in a while, so longtime fans will know that I have to bring this up. Because they're yeah. gnawing every single time, but we haven't heard it in a while, so it's it's good. I think it's a nice refresher to just bring it back and, and, and celebrate the moment. The one thing about this version of MFC, this is my I Am Mind treatment. 
where this could go on for so much longer and just stops. And I could have gotten two more minutes out of just like jamming and, and getting some like electric atmospheric sounds, Matt kind of rolling drum beat and just keep going with it. And they don't. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I know this was the, the leg of the tour that they brought on title for the first time too. I think one of the last shows in this leg, you know, they were kind of working on it. He was kind of playing around with it. It's cool to hear it. His last kind of pure versions of it. And I love Untitled and I love MLC. And yeah, it's one of those things that like, yeah, it could have been so much more, like you said, with I Am Mine, but I think they, they ended up going, adding to the beginning of it instead of the end. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there have been versions where they've extended it a little bit, but like not a full-fledged jam. and yeah. But also yeah. not in the way that I Am Mine is just like, okay, solo and done. That's straight up every single time. But like MFC at least like is more is a little bit more open-ended in that facet. This is sort of a, a theme from this show, but not one that we, we care to go back on because it's just whatever it's ancient history at this point but they kind of play you know jeremy but it's got the no jeremy vibe to it and ed is just you know singing back and forth with the crowd the president spoke in court today This day is the day that Clinton admitted that he had sexual relations with that woman. And just like, who cares at this point? It's, yeah. It's, it's, it was it done to quaint. death in 1998. Yeah. Yeah. And now, like, going back and being like, hmm, what'd you think of the time period? Like, I, I mean... I was like, what, 12, and I couldn't give a shit. It was just annoying. I just wanted it out of everyday life. Like anything in politics that actually doesn't involve political ramifications. We've already talked about it too much. Immortality is next. And the difference between this immortality and normal versions of immortality, it just has this long build, this slow stark ominous tone to it and it's a bit plotting in a good way it's picking its moments in a way where you hear it and you're just like okay they're on to something with this this sounds a little bit different this is you know where a regular version would be more of a creep this is really a tiptoe and the solo even it kind of stays the same pacing the whole entire time. It stays kind of slow, but I don't know if you noticed during the solo, 
while Mike starts to accelerate, the solo is usually in two pieces. The, the first piece is usually Mike doing a little bit of a bluesy thing. The second one is where he really goes off. There were three in this version. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, there's a really melodic part. It was really good. This Immortality, like, you would have thought you were listening to 1995 Immortality. Like, this, this does not lose a beat. It's incredible. Another one that, like, I think this is very cymbal-heavy for Matt, and we talked about the Tom-heavy stuff with uh, Given a Fly before, but this is very cymbal-heavy at the end, and what's really cool, like, they just, they drive and they keep continue to progress, and it keeps elevating, the, the vocals at the end elevate, and it just has a great drive to it until the end, but what's nice about this and this version, what I thought was very cool, this kind of had its like final chord, this end stamp on it, instead of just sort of fading out like Immortality hmm. usually does. I thought that that was kind of cool. It might be a little bit more like rock and roll kind of showy, but I thought that I thought that that was kind of a cool element for Immortality. Yeah, I pictured them kind of all being around Cameron. Like sometimes, you know, we'll see them. You'll see them kind of crowd around the drums and kind of do a little jam thing. I, I picture that's that's Cameron leading that, him doing the big thing, like, and stop. Yeah, I would have, I, I wish we had a really good video of this one that we should mention too. There's there's video of some of the show, but it's very dark. It's off to the side. I think the, the person was probably, didn't didn't want to hold the camera up too high, so didn't want to get caught. So it's, you only get bits and pieces of the band through the crowd and through the, the other things that are in the way, but you only get a little bit of the beginning and a little bit of the end. But this one is, yeah, you, this one's going to pop back up at the end in my top three for sure. And Ed acknowledges Matt afterwards, and that is always a good sign because, the, I mean, I think that that is Ed 
outwardly saying how thankful he is for Matt existing and oh, yeah. being the one to replace him. And of course, going into Evenflow, which is always the song that is the one that's going to trigger the acknowledgement, which is just kind of probably preparing for another one of those. Solo on this. Speaking of, of multi-part solos. Oh, yeah. Going from like what? Funkadelic to Van Halen. I, I, this was all over the place. This is kind of yeah. kind of nuts. How do you break it down? Yeah, just I mean, you're listening to it and you're kind of like, okay, it's you know, it's even flow solo. Mike, you know, going for it, and then like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, he turns on a pedal or something, and it gets super like reverby and super funky and like, yeah, it was kind of a hard left turn in the middle of this thing. It was very kind of like jarring. Out of all that, they kind of sit on it for a second and then sort of wait on the build. And I thought that that was really good. Kind of at the time, it felt like that section wasn't really elaborated on too much. It was just kind of like a, okay, solo and let's get back into the chorus. But it felt like they just kind of took a second. They were just like, fuck it. Like, let's build a little bit of tension. And there was a big ending on it too. A really, really good audible Never Vote Republican on Mm -hmm. there. Yep, noticed that. Speaking of, uh, you know, all the stuff we talked about with the Clinton stuff, you know, he was going to throw that in there. Of course, yep. All right, the next one is for all the poor people in the back. If I were young and at this show, I probably would have been right there, but snuck down and probably makes a pointing gesture too about right there. That's That sounds about right, but, you know. That, Did you that, hear that, the fan? Did you hear the fan on the bootleg? I don't know if I heard I, I might have. A, yeah, there's after he says, this one's for the poor people in the back. You hear, like, someone goes, same price, buddy. This sucks. That's hilarious. I didn't yeah. catch that the first time around, and yeah, it's very audible on the on the bootleg. It must have been standing like right next to the guy with the the microphone. Wow, that's a uh, classic kind of, and Ed probably yeah. never heard it. It's just one of oh, those yeah, things. Oh yeah, not a chance. Yeah, it just picked up. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's very cool. That takes you in a section which, I mean, you could package the four of them together, but kind of there there will be focus on individual ones here. Nothing Man, River Mirror, Wishlist, In Hiding. I think that the two to spot out are River Mirror and then a little bit of Wishlist, but I think In Hiding does deserve a little bit of mention too. Rearview Mirror being basically in the daughter spot, I was really intrigued by. And after Nothing Man, where Nothing Man kind of, is that territory of like the come down from even flow and building back the wave with rearview mirror. You're just so used to it closing a show or even in some aspects, very rarely opening a show that in the middle of a set, you're thrown off by it a little bit and going into wish list on paper seems really odd and really weird. It's its own wave essentially. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in 94 at rearview mirror, they were playing it really early a lot. And here it was starting to kind of creep back towards the back. And, you know, they were still playing in mid-set a lot. It hadn't kind of gravitated towards the end of the set yet. But it's always going to be a, a highlight whenever you get it. This has the, it does the kind of slow intro, and it gets really, really quiet. But just like Immortality, just like Corduroy, the ending, oh, my God. Like, you're, you're just like, oh, okay, Mac, Mac Cameron's, he's the guy now. He's, yep. He's on it. Like, this ending is spectacular. Charged up and it's really just fast strumming from all areas here. The guitars are excellent. Uh, also, kind of in the way where it gets its own spotlight when it closes a show, 
you can kind of like put it in that pocket a little bit but when it's in this spot it almost and and this is kind of hindsight but it almost gets its own little showcase where you know afterwards you're so used to like okay let's take a break from this but shit there's more set list there's like five more songs to go right and i think that that that's such a great indicator of you know the energy that they had on stage was just continuing to 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 pop that vibe like let's let's get another energetic one slow it down a little bit and build back up what's going to be the last three songs of the set are going to be all pretty heavy and pretty pretty charged up so uh yeah river mirror was great i thought i i got a little bit on wish list here and very just like tight it feels like that was a song that they were all in sync on at the time and not just that but of course when you talk about this song you think about the ending and you think about how (laughs) they're gonna finish off and it sounds like they're done but this is almost like a little bit of a wishless reprise here. Yeah, you know, you you can hear on the studio version, uh, you know, that really quiet where he goes, I wish I was a radio song, the one that you turn on, kind of like giving a little hint, like, we kind of want this one to be a hit. We we wouldn't mind if this one got played on the radio a little bit. We feel like this one could be, could be a popular song. And they never really did that live, but here it kind of gets the treatment. Like, they, they keep it going, he brings, he, they bring it down, and then they bring it back, and you get the radio song line get get the full band treatment like it's pretty cool get it's like a real ending it it would kind of like setting the stage for those those tags that they would start throwing on and yeah i i love 1998 wishlist it's one of my favorites from this tour uh, another yield back to back with this is in hiding and you know we don't talk about in hiding too often which is a, a damn shame but in 1998 that song was sort of a secondary focus when you think of the tier list of yield songs that they were really working on. The top four are Wishlist, Evolution, Brain of Jay, Given a Fly. And then the second tier songs like Faithful and In Hiding, MFC would be MFC, in, in the second yeah. tier. And then yeah. the bottom tier would be just Push Me, Pull Me, All Those Yesterdays, which and, and No Way, which they would almost never Island. play. Yeah. Right. They, they would just never play those. But like the, the mid-tier ones are always interesting because you think towards now and what they do with the song now it's kind of more of a stadium rock song but here you get you get elements that it's just got like a raw progressional raw vibe to it and, and it's just fun like it's it's a good song that doesn't pop up too too often they've only played it what probably sub 100 times they yeah, played 90, it 92, 92. Yeah. yeah that's the it feels like almost nothing but this is this is one that I caught from the crowd but there there was somebody in the crowd right before uh, they go into the and he said I'm tripping so I wonder if <laughs> and that is really a you know that's a later 
thing. That was a later Pearl Jam thing where Ed would, in that section, say, I was tripping balls or something like that. Yeah. And he yeah. does say something like, I was hot, I was high as hell, or he says something, and that it, it was kind of unintelligible. But the, the fan blur, blur, blurts out, I'm tripping. Like, and I wonder what show he had done that at. He had said that. It was that, like, I don't remember in Hiding Me played at the Melbourne show. Was there another show that was kind of popularized where he did that in, in uh, earlier did they, in that did tour? Did they do this at, at the Monkey Wrench? Did they play at a Monkey Wrench? Um, yeah, yeah, they probably did. It I don't remember him, him doing that, though. Yeah, I don't know. We might need to do an evolution on this one. Yeah, but that, that's, that, that's <laughs> the, the thing that it changes and it get, it feels like it's a fuller rock song. It's Ed, right? The, the, Ed yeah. can't hit these. He can't do the, the high sure. notes anymore. But it's, right, it's right, great right, to hear it. And it's great to hear it in this form when he's just, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like he's just on top of everything. And it sounds fucking great. sound like this in the in the 2000s and the 2010s no but i think more of in like a song structure standpoint you still Mm -hmm. hear those guitars kind of weaving in and out and kind of getting kind of a little bit of the the dueling guitar at the uh, at the end there like the guitar is really a backing vocal in this song when you think about it and it just does stone tremendous job like this is a top tier stone mm-hmm. oh, yeah. level song so like what he's doing on this song just is another voice with this that, that you can almost say is, is sort of singing along with that yeah, very and, very uh, lyrical yeah right and uh, this is always one when they play it in south america too where ed has to do that little you know that little chime because the crowd you know this is not a hit song for them so Maybe they're not yeah. singing along as much to this one, but great song. I thought I thought this was a pretty good version here too. But you're hitting on the end here, and the way that you started the main set, you scorched. You you went right out of the gate with fire. You're gonna finish with fire here. You're gonna go spin a black circle, alive, and then go. I think the most interesting thing about all this is that they're not closing with alive and that they're letting that be a penultimate. I think that that was sort of experimental, but also that that's great because I, I've seen other bands do that with their big song and you can even say that alive doesn't close shows this is preparing for this to be almost penultimate nowadays where it's the penultimate to Rockman free world slash lead better but being the second to last song before a go ah, there's something really unique about that there's something that just charges you up just a little bit more that you get this anthemic rocker and then you think you know okay of course this is going to be how they finish it but they're like no let's play one of the fastest versions of go we have in our catalog oh yeah it just rips and like 
it's 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 back to those waves, right? It's like alive as like hits the height of the wave before it all comes crashing down, right? It's the very last bill where you really push it before you just go go in hard at the end. And oh yeah, the, this last three is great. I mean, so I talked about there's a the roll the the mat drum roll at the beginning of Hail Hail that kind of leads into it. And there's there's one in Spin the Black Circle as well that you're just like. Oh my God! Just chaos, like in a good way. Like it just sounds, just fast and furious. And yeah, I like this. You you go with live and you get everyone on this high, and then you just punch them in the face with go, and then drop the mic and get out. You know, it's funny with alive, and I get it from this version. I get that feel. That in '95, '96, they seemed to be done with it, and they wanted to move mm-hmm. on from it. But now that Cameron's in the band. It feels like there's a renewed energy for the song. Like you yeah. listen to Cameron on this, and this is an anth- anthemic Cameron, heavy hitting type song. And like Ed's doing the sarcastic, of course there is, and and really in the pantheon that doesn't really come until later. That isn't a thing that gets noticed probably until the 11-6-2000 show, and then after that it's it's every night. But that is a precursor and that's showing you that ed is having fun with it again yeah he definitely didn't sound over it or depressed like he does sometimes in, in 94 95 96 it definitely like felt rejuvenated with with cameron yeah i 100 agree apparently ed was balancing on bouncer pete's shoulders and grabbed a bunch of hands down in front during this and it was running across the stage doing the same thing that's not something that you really see from the video but that is uh you know that, that is a direct quote from five horizons so yeah uh and then afterwards ed compliments the crowd on uh on good singing and and that's where you, you get to go and that that speedy like almost like the spin a black circle speed on go which it, it, when you think about it it's a fast song but it kind of builds to its speed it just felt like this is just fast from the get-go and fast to the finish like sprint sprint style yeah and i i love when this one closes a sec because it's like full force go 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 and then done we've done a couple where they kind of do like a big ending to it when it's at the end of a set but like just rip it and then get out i love that that's kind of the same thing that do the evolution has sometimes where it just yeah yeah just ends boom done out, off the stage and out very very good but we're at the encore here let's pause for station identification we don't have many songs left in the show so we can kind of talk a little bit here and uh look we usually take this time to talk about patreon we can talk about other things though we could talk about brother the cloud if we wanted to did you like it what did you think um i went into it with an open mind i, I was not expecting to be to be blown away or anything, but I didn't mind it. I thought it was was fine. That definitely the best of the of the three that we've heard so far. It's definitely got that kind of vulnerability that that Ed can bring to a song like that. You know, it's obviously about something very personal to him. It had a couple of couple of twists and turns. Kind of makes you perk up your ears a couple of times. And yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I, I was, didn't I, love it, but I liked it. Yeah, I, I think that on like a backspace or a lightning bolt. It's probably the fourth or fifth best song. Maybe, maybe 
but <laughs> I think yeah, it's definitely the best of the three. And there, there, time and time again, I'm going to see flaws in songs, and I'm just going to pick and nitpick at things. And there were things that I wanted to nitpick at here, but in the end, in reality, it was all just a fun song. And when I yeah. think of Ed's songwriting ability, I usually give him a lot of credit for not directing it at the obvious. And this was a direct song where he's just stating the facts and instead of kind of guiding you into what you might build upon to be whatever conclusion you come up with. That was, that wasn't this. I, I think that's very rare in, in Ed songs. And maybe that's something that he, he nowadays will save for Pearl jam and then for, for his stuff kind of be a little bit more forthcoming. Yeah, and a lot of people, I know a lot of people get turned off by the Ed Solo stuff because it's it's not Pearl Jam and they 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 want him to do more Pearl Jam stuff on his solo stuff, but that's not what this is for. You know, it's it's a different thing and he's kind of going off and you know, we'll, we'll see what what the rest of this album sounds like, but it sounds like he's, you know, definitely paying tribute to some of his some of his heroes on this record and, you including know, including his father. Yeah, exactly. And these songs weren't written to be Pearl Jam songs. They they were written to be Ed Solo songs. So you gotta kind of compartmentalize that in your head and be like, yeah, this is this is just something different. And you're you're, it it doesn't sound like Gigaton. It probably you know it wasn't meant to be on that record. It wasn't meant to be on a Pearl Jam record. So just enjoy it for what it is. He's he's making music. He was productive at home, sitting around like the rest of us were for a long time. It kind of made me you know I'll, when the, when that record comes out, you know, I'll sit down and give it a listen. We'll see see how it goes. We'll see what we'll see what it's got in store. Speaking of productive, I mean Stone is just running laps around everybody here with another painted shield album that's coming out. How about that? How about that? I didn't I didn't get to listen to the new song yet, but I mean like I I'm just always impressed by pretty much everything he does. So sure. Sure. I, I'm excited to hear. I, I love the first album. I love it. It's got such a a warm vibe to it, and, and I think Stone usually write stuff for the intention of it being a Pearl Jam song. And it's just interesting to to go back and, and listen to these uh, and say, like, what could this have sounded like if this was meant for, for Ed and the guys? Yeah, I've never, I haven't really sat down and spent a lot of time with that record, but uh, I need to. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. It's it's different, it, it but it, it fits kind of like what Stone is doing now rather than what Stone was doing back in the 90s or so. So sure. Uh, sure. definitely something if you guys haven't listened to. Still, uh, I'm still digging into that Amen record. Hey, I haven't listened to that. So, I mean, yeah, we can switch good. off. We can, we can trade off if we wanted to. But all right, let's get into our own little thing. And obviously at this point in the show, and there are going to be, what, five songs left. So there's not a lot of talking about the songs left. So, you know, we had time to bullshit about things. How about that? If you want to help us out, we are still going and thriving over on Patreon. And this past week, we released a new episode in our late night series, VMAs 1993, where we got to talk about the animal and the rockin' and the free world performance with Neil Young. So that was very good. And look, there are things, and we're not going to put something out every single week for Patreon, but there are things that you literally, if you sign up now, you can listen to our whole entire archive that we've been working on for legit four years. Everything is there from all the evolution episodes to all the bridge school series that we did. We did 
18 episodes of just bridge school shows and not just like we did an Edward school show too. Like we, all of them are there. A lot of just extra show content, like shows that we haven't done on the regular platform before, but we did like the piss bottle men second night on the regular platform. We did the first night on Patreon. That's there. The red rocks first night, on Patreon, the Bogart show from Cincinnati in, in 1992, there, Cow Palace, New Year's Eve 1991, that's there. There's a lot of cool stuff that we don't get the opportunity to do on the main platform that we've been just just trying to take the opportunity to do there. And we we like it because it's stuff that we enjoy talking about. So we hope that you guys are enjoying listening to it. And look, I, I know, like I mentioned, it's a big archive now and it might be tough to dig through that. So if you're ever looking for something and maybe Maybe we'll at some point do this big list of what's on Patreon and we'll post it somewhere and, and maybe just to Patreon for, the, for, for those people that are, are interested. But it is tough to find things there. However, they're all attainable. Patreon.com slash Live on Four Legs. Or what you can do is you can download the Patreon app and just search for Live on Four Legs. Or you can join by going to liveonfourlegs.com and clicking literally everywhere on the site that says become a patron. And there you go. There you have it. And this episode is strictly a requested episode from a longtime patron, Jeremy, which now join up to the $5 tier, to the $10 tier. And hey, if you join up to the $1 tier and you make it for a full year, we'll give you that episode request. And we're still waiting on people that have been with us for a long time that have an episode request that is owed to them. And hopefully we can get it in 2022. If we can't, then I would say at this point, it's pretty clear that we're going to get to it in 2023. But if you want to help out the show and what we're doing, just head on over there. Uh, there's there's fun stuff. And, and again, what we like to do is we like to talk about your memories and make sure that since you're giving a little bit of something to us, we get to kind of dig into a little bit of your life. So it's cool for us. If it's cool for you. Yeah, I just love getting these stories. You know, hearing hearing people's first show or why they why Pearl Jam became their favorite band. It's like that just that's make that makes our job so much easier. Yep, one hundred percent. So patreon.com slash live on four legs. And if you're not following us on the social media accounts, there's always Twitter. We're very active on Twitter. We do a lot of stuff over there at Live on Four Legs Pod. There's the podcast community group on Facebook, which is just Pearl Jam Podcast Community Group, where you can see updates on what we're doing, updates on what Brandon's doing with Better Band, updates on what State of Love and Trust is doing, and also updates on some of the other community things. And there's always good things. Right now, if you see every single day, I've I've been polling people on their favorite shows from certain years. We are getting to something with that. We're at this point probably on 2011 or so, but you know, hang on, we are getting to something with that. It'll go to basically an episode where the fans will get to pick what the episode is based on this whole whatever tournament they're doing. So yeah. yeah, tournament of champions. So. All right, back to The Rock. Ed says, on behalf of us and Iggy Pop, thank you so much for coming out. The last time we played here was with Soundgarden a long time ago. I'm going to guess probably Lollapalooza. Probably. That makes sense. All right. We have some song requests in front. Ed says, all right, Hunger Strike, Chris ain't here yet. 
You haven't figured that one out yet. You need to download that. <laughs> I off love. Napster. I love that someone requested you. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> I mean, this is the time. Like, that would have been me. I, I would have been like, yeah, play you. That song's awesome. People were bringing their signs, and obviously, that's how Breath would oh, gain yeah. this momentum and gain this. But it's also how Hard to Imagine came back too. That was another one at the time. They were starting to see a lot of signs for Hard to Imagine in the crowd, and they were just like, okay. Yeah, it was shortly after what um, Chicago Cab came out, like mm-hmm. what a year before this. So it was on people's minds, and people wanted it, and they were starting to come along with that and say, you know what? Okay, if you want it, we'll give it a shot. And if it sucks, we won't go back to it. But if it's great, we'll start to make it part of our catalog. And and you, not quite yet. I think that came along in 2000. That started 2000. to come along. Yeah. And there's also a sign that says Ed Lewinsky. And it says, I don't know what that means. That over there, that's my intern. After the show, interns don't get paid. They just do it for experience. It said, somebody spoke on TV tonight, and he wants to cue up some of the courtroom processions from earlier that day where Clinton had sexual relations with that woman. Uh, who cares? Uh, they He just, and, and then he recites the whole entire speech verbatim, and at, at the end, he says, I only have one word to say, and that's consensual. So it's fucking ancient history at this point. Politics has got, have gotten so much worse than what this is. And think about people that freaked out about that then. Uh, yeah. Same yeah. people that should be freaking about, about, out about way more now. So moving on, Better Man is dedicated to both Bill and Hillary. Changes some of the pronouns here to we need him, we feed him. There's the section at the end in the tag for save it for later there's no like you know typical don't let me down but he's kind of singing don't let me down don't let me down that's all i ask of you do what you have to do don't let me down and that gets pretty intense thinking about the president at that point he's he's singing directly to at that point i think for sure and and that's at the at the end he clearly states like that one was for for hillary so that's that's on his mind and then that goes into daughter which again getting the tag territory with daughter this was experimental but nothing really specific about it at all just enchanting yeah a little bit but overall performance was fine. Didn't like rock my world when it, when it comes to dark. Sure. Yeah. It didn't have like an anchor of like something to, to go back to, to kind of give it some weight. It just kind of meandered. I thought. Yeah. That, that's, that's fair to say that. Uh, Ed afterwards says there's no stars in the sky tonight. They're all in the audience. Give yourselves a hand. It's nice to see so many humans right before they were killed by progress. It's evolution, baby. And we're now back to the defining sound of this night after two kind of more poppy anthemic songs, evolution type songs, and and leaving here fast, fun, rocking, energetic stuff is what this show should be remembered for. 
and you hear some bursts here like coming out of the first stone solo section there felt like there was something a little extra on it it just and you know there's just a sound burst at the end there's another after the other soul like the the main soul there's another great sound burst and it is just on point with all the howls and growls like very very good stuff obviously this is the time that you want the best versions of do the evolution you could say maybe it's a little watered down in comparison now but they just do it differently in order to keep ed's voice intact but then doesn't matter this is song number what 19 20 of the night do whatever they want first minute of the tour I know it's uh yeah it's just Stone and Matt sounding just locked in together and at times they they did not sound like that over over the summer in the first leg but again you can tell that they're on top of this and just hitting every single every single twist and turn of it and yeah Stone sounds amazing you know he's I can just picture Stone looking at Matt and just being like yeah we got something here right just like he just like he did with Ed you know and it felt like they're building that confidence and building that letting that energy go and just sending it into the stratosphere yeah great version here do you know when the moment was where it was like officially official that Matt was in Pearl Jam and not just a replacement member after the 98 summer, this is on page 204, the show's in West Palm Beach. He says, after that 98 summer tour, they offered me the job, and I was just like, let's do it. Boom. There you have it. After the shows where Rancid opened up for them. We were talking about that before we went on air. Oh, I wish I could have been at those shows. Rancid opening up for Pearl Jam, how about that? Yeah, but yeah. Rancid also opening up for the Beastie Boys, you told me. That's right. Yeah, in Atlanta the day after Pearl Jam played. Ridiculous. And I'm going to talk real quick and mention that the next one, recorded by The Who before they were The Who when they were the high numbers, and it's about the treatment of women. It's called Leaving Here, and that's what we're about to do. And this one is absolutely a nod to, to what happened, the Hillary Lewinsky stuff. So, fun version. I have the solos marked down as Stone, Mike, Ed, Mike. Ed Mike Stone, Ed Mike, but I the, the first two it could have could go either way. I think he, he might be right on that one if you really went for it. But I, I go back to like I, I'm glad that that Jeremy kind of highlighted this one on his note about it because yeah, I love 1998 leaving here. These early versions of the song like before it got real sloppy, just sounds really good. And I again, you know, trying to figure out the solos is fun and it's just a great way to kind of like bring a show to a close. 
Yeah, and the one thing I'm just thinking about at this time period, and Pearl Jam is always known for being a champion for women's rights, and you think about what music was happening in 1998 and like what media and culture was like in 1998 think about all like the mtv shows that were out there and how men treated women on, on very misogynistic yeah right jerry springer think about like you know the shit that was going down and how women were treated on that show and then you think about like a band like limp biscuit and yep. their yep. treatment of women and and it's good to sort of show that 25 years later, Pearl Jam was on the side of history that everybody realized that was the right side of history, where, where you know, the Limp Biscuit side was really just the phase and what was happening back then. It was just supposed to be edgy, but it was really kind of kind of junk. But everybody sort of thought that that was going to be the world going forward, that it wasn't going to matter anymore. But it, it's it's a good thing that it did, because Pearl Jam one of the few to be on the right side of history with that and then being a champion for those sort of things. So to close out the four song encore here and with a profound statement, behave like rock stars and not like the president, then they're going to leave real quick, come back for a nice version of Ledbetter. And that's going to be the show. Ledbetter was a big deal. And I think at this time, Ledbetter was probably a lot of people's favorite Pearl Jam song and the one that it's getting so much exposure live and especially in the closing role that everybody is expecting for it to be this moment that closes the show. And on the radio too, by this point, it sure. definitely oh, picked yeah. up some radio play. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds relaxed and, and confident. Another thing like that's the beginning of this tour just sounds so much different from those early Cameron shows where they sound like a machine and that's you know that's due to Matt Cameron on that note the last leg of 1998 is off to a great start this is a very good tour and I think that these shows especially are the ones that stand out from the past and look Australia absolutely stands out too because that's that's Jack and that's something different but that's off to compare what Matt was doing in his time period with the the first half of him being in Pearl Jam and this like this is setting the tone for everything that's to come and wonderfully at that point we are at our top three moments look I'm going to propose this I want to do my top three first whenever I pick my rating first because I would have noticed what I've noticed is that when you pick your three and I'm like, oh, I know I was going to have that song in my three, I, <laughs> I sort of readjust to give other songs their due. So uh-huh. I, I, I want to feel confident about my picks okay. and know that I have like a three that I really feel like were the top moments from this show. So I'm going to go number three. I'm going to say Alive. And I think that you just feel the energy off of it and you you feel that alive is getting a resurgence that the band feels better about it. Ed, especially he's the one that's always had the problem with it. It, You know, obviously being the radio song, the song that kind of propelled them to, to bigger heights and bigger things, but Ed seems to want to play it at this point. And, and it really stems off of what Matt was doing from it. And this version is just very, very good and sort of leading to what would be good versions of live in 1998. Uh, for number two, I'm going to combine three together. And I'm going to say that that intro three songs of hell, hell brain of J and last exit. Those are three of my favorite Pearl jam songs of all time. I love the fast ones. 
and there's no better way to begin a show. That's it just perfect, great. Ed's in full force with his voice. Matt sounds terrific. Mike sounds terrific. Unbelievable. But my number one is Immortality, and I have a feeling you're bringing back this one too, which, uh, hey, maybe I wanted to be the first to, to mention it. And this <laughs> just just something, look, Immortality is the one where like the canvas is, is usually wide open. They can do something on one night and it could have the the intro that's that's uh, a bit melodic and it could be like a five minute jam at the end they could do something totally different the next time where it's a little bit more bluesy but this version is something i hadn't heard before just slower kind of takes a different undertone and and very very good yes i 100 percent agree uh, my number three is wish list I like the little, you know, hint of a tag with the radio song, outro. I thought that was a nice touch and kind of they were they would just go on to build on it from there. My number 2 is Corduroy. We talked a lot about Corduroy, and talked about how that was one where when Matt just comes in it's just like, oh, just like you almost get chills like, oh, here we go. And just a fantastic version. And then yeah, my number 1 is I'm right with you Immortality for all the reasons we talked about. That's why I wanted to say it first, because I wanted to cement <laughs> it as my number one. And sometimes I, I, I'll, I'll say it as my number two, just to be like, eh, you know, screw it, I want to be different. But no, I, I, it's my number one, too, and that's okay. All right, now we're on to a rating, and uh, due to Hall of Fame rules, it's it's an odd number week, so I guess that I'm to go first. And I'm going to give this show a very solid eight. I think it's a good start to a good leg of 1998. It's not one from, you know, I think we, we talked a little bit about in our circles. We talked about Birmingham and Mansfield lately and, and how good those shows were. It's not up in that upper upper tier tier like that but it's like it's very very solid and it's one that that should be looked upon if you want something just easy listening that you can go through this in less than two hours and hear some of the yield songs in their earliest point and not hear a show that has any meandering it's not sloppy in any points there's not a lot of ed speaking aside from his uh imitating the president there's not much of that. So it's it it's just very super focused and locked tight and it's just a very solid eight show. Okay. Yeah, I'm I was I was torn on this one a little bit because like the Clinton stuff makes it very dated and like you're listening to it and you're it, it almost like kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Like, oh, okay, that was a thing that happened. You're not able to get kind of lost in the the vibe of the show and the flow of the show like you sometimes are. But Still, very, very good show. And I'll even add, you know, historically being the, the first night of that leg and we, you know, all the Cameron stuff we talked about, I think this show is more important than people give her credit for just for building confidence and, you know, having a, having a really strong first night of tour just builds on everything that happened later on. So I'm going to give this one a nine. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I think it's, I think, know, it's, I think it's important. And you've been listening the whole time, so you kind of heard some of these songs and, and how they sounded. It's not the most perfect boot in the world. We've heard better from 1998. We've heard better from 1994, you know? It, we've it, heard it just, worse. Right, but we've heard worse. So if this was one 
that we had an official recording of, I wonder how it would translate. I wonder mm. how we would uh, kind of correlate what Matt was doing with some of the things that Stone and, and Mike were doing differently. Because you, yeah. you get yeah. that full that fuller sound. That, yeah, we that didn't really talk about sound. Jeff. The, the bass is not as prominent as, as it normally it's, is. So, it, yeah. it almost never is in these eras, yeah. unfortunately. But yeah. But good, good show, and I'm I'm glad. And this is like a perfect example of a show that is just not on either of our radars. That just bring it up, and we're like, okay, jump right in. I think some of the shows that are coming up in the next couple of weeks, I don't I don't think a lot of those were on our radars at all. Like the what we're doing next week, I think I had heard on Sirius at one point, but it's not one that I thought about. Okay, I really got to dig into it. But now, like, yeah, okay, bring it on. We're going to do it. Uh, we're doing Berlin 2009 next week. That was a another Patreon request from, I believe, Vanessa. And she's been with us on Patreon for a while now, so we thank her. And Great. we hopefully get to tell her story next week. So very excited. And once again, a big thank you goes out to Jeremy Curtis for sending in his story and letting us tell his story this week. That was that was great stuff. And, and you know, I think we can all relate to that moment that we recognize Pearl Jam being our band that we wanted to just fall in love with so yeah that that that's the most important part about doing it all is is uh is that you guys get to relive a little bit of it so there you have it hey look uh you know what to do if you listen to the show weekly you subscribe to the show hopefully spotify apple or hey maybe you go on live on four legs.com and you click the link on the banner that has this show up and you just listen to it straight from the website you can listen to it however you like. I don't care. It gets us the numbers and it gets the great content in your ears. And if you're listening, there's always a way that it can be more visible to the people that love Pearl Jam that maybe, look, maybe at one point you didn't know that we existed, had to find us somehow. There are going to be other people out there that are going to be like, where's the show been all, all my life? We want to get out to them because hopefully we'll be able to tell a story from their memories as well. And the way that we get to do that is by getting some five-star ratings on both Apple and Spotify. If you can spot us one of those, that would be huge and much gratitude towards that. And look, and if you can prove it, if you want to take a, a, a screenshot, prove it. And if you're in the U.S., if you're U.S.-based, take a screenshot, prove it. Send us the photo, and we'll send you a little sticker pack as a, as a thank you for that. We've been doing that for some people that were nice enough to do that. But uh, make sure on, on Apple, five stars and a comment. That's always huge for people to go through the comments and be like, ah, oh, this is what people love about the show. That, that's phenomenal. And uh, thank you for everybody that, that have done that and uh, allowed us that uh, privilege to be on the front part of searching for Pearl Jam in the podcast section. So very, very cool. And uh, yeah, that, that 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 that's it. Follow the social media accounts, like I mentioned before. Live on Four Legs Pod on Twitter. Live on Four Legs Podcast on Instagram. Don't do much over there, but we're still there. And uh, Pearl Jam Podcast Community Group on Facebook. And then, if you're done with all that, head on over to Patreon, maybe. Spend a dollar a month to, to listen to some great content or just keep listening on this platform. That's okay, too. We got more great stuff coming on here in the next coming weeks, like next week, Berlin 2009. Excited. Definitely excited for it. And we're going to see you there. And I'm out of things to say. So head into the spiel. 
This may be the end. We're here, not for much longer, and although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always. It's great going back to 1998. Today won't be the last time we do it this year. We're just getting started with 1998. Very excited for what's to come. Won't you join us next week? Watch out for praying mantises. From the front to the back, thanks. Behave like rock stars, not like the president.